Is that a first for anyone else, um, seeing a worship leader hike up his leg on stage? I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, but again, we are glad you're here. Chuck, thank you for that display. It was lovely. Um, Just showing my participation. <laughs> well, as you look around at our world, I'm sure there are times that you see things on the news, in the media, in newspapers, and you look and you say, well, that's not how it's supposed to be. Like, this, this is not supposed to happen this way, but yet we've kind of grown accustomed to it. But still there are these moments where it kind of takes us back as we look and say, that is not the way things are supposed to be. And if you have this beginning place of this is how, not how things are supposed to be, that means you've made some assumptions about the way things should be. And so as we start this morning, I want to just turn to the people right around you, maybe the person right next to you, and just tell them what is it supposed to be like. So go. As you hear people describe, well, this is how it should be, this is how it's supposed to be, what are some things that came up? Well, people, if they could just get along, if people could disagree and sit down and have a conversation and it not be met with anger and fighting and violence, if people could come together and not any for any reason other than just their human beings, not because of their nationality or their language or where they're from, but just simply because they're human beings, they could actually get along. Maybe it's a world where everyone knows and loves God. Maybe it's a world where everyone could love their neighbor as themselves. But regardless, you see these stories on the news, you see these stories in print, Prince, that thing that was before the internet, just if you still get one of those pieces of paper with the, new, with the internet printed on it. <laughs> what are they called? Newspapers, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not the way the world is supposed to be. Deep down within us, there is this longing for things to be the way they should be. And my suggestion is not simply that things are supposed to be the way they should be, but things we perceive should be the way they once were. If you know the story of the Bible... So many times we jump and we begin the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, is sin enters the world. And when we begin the story there, there's a problem that we have to fix. And my suggestion is that where and when we begin the story shapes and determines the story that we are telling. 
But the Bible does not begin with sin in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 with peace between God and man. The way things are supposed to be. And maybe just deep down inside us there is a longing for things not just to be better, but to things, for things to be as they were supposed to be. Things to be the way they once were. You see, every single day, you are shaped and formed by messages. There was a recent study done out of the university, or out of Harvard, um, the School of Psychology. And in this study, they found, and especially true of women, that you receive about 3,000 negative messages a day. 3,000 negative messages every single day that tell you who you are and what you have is not enough. That who you are and what you have is not enough. But those messages come with a solution. That we know how to fix who you are and what you have by our car. And our car will not only give you a better car, it will make you a better person. It will keep you safer. It will keep you more comfortable. It will give you this status. Or buy our clothes. And our clothes will make you look like a million bucks. Buy our clothes and you'll fit in with everyone else. If you're a junior high boy, buy Axe Body Spray because the girls will love it. (laughs) Buy this pill, this equipment, and you can look like the person on the treadmill for $9.99 and 30 minutes a day. And these messages that are conveyed to us are solutions to this problem that the world, specifically our world, is not the way that it's supposed to be. And we have a way to fix it. The world is not as it should be. And we want you to understand that with what we have, you can be enough. And throughout this letter, Paul has been talking about basically wrapping his theology of what Christ has done and is doing into this prayer. And so he comes to the end in chapter 3, and it's really the end of the first half of the book. It's really a section. And all of his theology has been wrapped into here, and then he's going to make this transition that we'll jump into in a couple weeks, where he says, now, based on all that we understand, what do we do with what we now know? And so I want to try to take a bigger look at the first three chapters this morning because it's so simple to get into these studies where we're looking section by section and forget to step back and take a bigger look at what's happening and what Paul is trying to communicate. Because what he's trying to communicate and has been telling us throughout the first three chapters of this letter is that he has a purpose in mind, and it is the purpose of Christ, that Christ is creating a new humanity. That it's not just about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the new person. 
but he's trying to tell us that what Christ has done and is doing is creating a new humanity. And so it keeps coming up over and over throughout this letter. If you'll look, chapter 1, verse 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And then he says this, as a plan for the fulfillment of time, and here, here's what the purpose is of what Christ is doing. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and on earth. So what, what has Christ done and what is he doing in the world? He's uniting all things under him. The world as it should be. Then, just a little bit later in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And notice he uses the past tense here. That you have been brought near. It's something that has already happened. He says, for he, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of his commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what has Christ been doing? What has he been up to? He's been uniting all things in heaven on earth under Christ. He's been creating this new humanity. This new humanity which exists of individuals whose sins have been forgiven, but make up a bigger part of a new world and a new kingdom. See, the problem is when we say, well, that's already happened most of us look around at the world and say, well, if that's already happened, then why don't I see it? If Christ has already done this, as Paul says, then why can't I look at the world and see the world as it should be? And I wonder if it's possible that an entirely different world exists right in our midst that we are unaware of. Netflix has a really popular series that came out this last year called Stranger Things. How many people have seen it? Okay. okay some of y'all are going to, okay, go home and watch Stranger Things. But the whole premise of the show, and it, it was widely popular, um, not just because of the story, but because of its um, constant references to 1980s pop culture, from um, Dungeons and Dragons to E.T. So if you were an 80s child, you'll love it. Um, but in the story, it's based on these kids, um, one in particular named Will Byers, who goes missing. 
And the whole community just assumes the worst has happened, that he is dead, and that they're going to have to figure out what's happened to him or find his body eventually. But his mother refuses to believe that he's dead. And they find, they make this incredible discovery that he's not actually dead, but that he has somehow gotten trapped in a parallel universe that exists right below their feet. They're walking around in their normal lives every day, and right below their feet is a world that they have no idea is there. I wonder, is there a possibility that a world exists right below our feet? That at times we are unaware of his existence? Is there a world that's waiting for us to discover it? A world waiting for us to create it? A world waiting for us to step into it? Because throughout the entire scope of the story of the Bible, there is this idea of the present age and the age to come. The present age is filled with sin and darkness and death and decay, and yet there is still another world, a coming world, the, the kingdom that is to come, that is full of grace and love and hope and forgiveness. And it speaks of this present world as what we live in the midst of, but it speaks of this coming world, this new kingdom, not just as something that is to come, but has already come, but is not fully here yet. This world that Jesus began, this dawn of a new creation that began with the cross and the resurrection, that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, was beginning this new world right here in the midst of the old one that is dying and passing away. A world that promises so much, but yet fulfills so little. And the invitation throughout Paul's letters is not that you would invite Christ into your world. But the invitation is that Christ has invited you into his That he has invited you into this new world to be a part of it to be a part of grace and love and hope and forgiveness and reconciliation, to make the world what it was originally intended to be, to join with God in his creation, restoring all things under heaven. Maybe from time to time, people just simply need to be invited to a world that is better than what they see. Maybe they need to be reminded and given the opportunity to walk out of this present age and into this age that is to come. Maybe they need to understand that there is a better alternative out there than the one that they have settled for. There was a story a couple of years back in an Oregon newspaper. It was about a group of high school cheerleaders. And every day they would congregate in the girls' bathroom and they would put on their makeup together. And then as the bell would ring right before they were heading to class, each of them would kiss the mirror, 
leaving the bright red imprints of their lips on the mirror. And the custodian was so frustrated trying to clean this every single day. And she went to the principal and complained. And the principal went to the girls and said, would you please stop doing this? It's making the custodian's job so difficult. But yet every single day there was still the reminder that the girls had been in the bathroom because the imprints of the lips were still all over the mirrors in the bathroom. One day, the principal decided, I I have an idea, and invited all the cheerleaders to meet her in the girls' bathroom. And while she was there, she said, you know what, I'm not going to punish you for what you did, but I want you to understand how difficult you're making life for our custodian. That every day you kiss the mirror and put your lips on the mirror, and she has to come in here and clean it all off, and then the very next day she's starting over because you've done it again. So I want our custodian just to demonstrate for you how difficult it is for her to clean off the lipstick from the mirror. And so with the girls watching, the custodian grabs a squeegee, walks over and dips it in the toilet, walks back to the mirror (laughs) and begins to squeegee the lipstick off the mirror. Never again. Was there a problem with lipstick on the mirrors? They just needed the suggestion that it might be in their best interest to abruptly end the way they were doing things. Maybe, maybe there is a better world out there. And it's simply waiting for God's people to create. But every single day, you're inundated with these messages that tell you how things are is the way things will always be. Um, Around the turn of the century, there was a Russian psychologist Um, If you've even taken a basic psychology course, you probably know of the name Ivan Petrovich, just cool, Pavlov. Like, I mean, is that Russian for Petrovich? Huh. (laughs) Ivan Pavlov. And Pavlov is credited for accidentally discovering what we know today as classical conditioning. And these experiments that he was doing, he found that it was possible to make a dog salivate over food even if the food was not present. So how did he do it? He combined something else with the food. In the case of Pavlov, it was a bell. And he learned, the dog learned that the bell was always associated with the food. And so when the food was presented and the bell would ring... Then the food was presented at the same time the bell would ring. Then they could ring the bell and wait to present the food, but the dog would still salivate. Because the dog learned, well, this is how it's supposed to be. And if I'm going to get food, there's got to be a bell. And what happens in our world is so many times we've been conditioned to think, well, the way things are is the way they're always going to be. That it's just... It's simple knowledge just because we can see the way it is. This is how it's always going to be. That this world is full of sin and death and decay. 
and it comes with pain and it comes with heartache. And if you put yourself out there, you may get hurt. And so it causes us at times to push back and say, well, I'm not going to put myself out there like I once did. I'm not going to fully love or I'm not going to fully give myself to someone because I've done that before. And when I did that, I was hurt and I don't want to experience that again. I think a great example of that is a ministry here at Shiloh called Wings. And if you don't know what our Wings ministry is, it's a group of people that have committed to come walk alongside single mothers when life is difficult. To walk alongside them and to empower them. And in that ministry, you give of yourself, you give of your time, you give of your resources, you put yourself out there, and you give to someone. And the problem when you do that, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, the problem when you do that, you have no way to control how they would respond. And the danger is we see how they respond, and we say, well, I'm not going to do that again because this happened. Listen, you got a front row seat to see how they would respond. But you have no idea what God will do with what you gave. You have no idea of seeing how far the gift that you gave could reach or who it could reach. And the, the crazy thing is you may never know. You may never know the extent to putting yourself, putting yourself out there. That was like, wow, that was like South Louisiana, putting yourself, putting yourself out there. You have no idea of what it will do. If you're from South Louisiana, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and so Paul is trying to answer this question. How do followers of Jesus live in the midst of this world? I want to jump down to the very end of this chapter in this prayer. And he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That God is going to do more in their life than anything they could imagine. And for Paul, this is not just a theory. This is what he has seen. Because when God, when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, he took him from someone going to persecute Christians to become one. And then ministering to the very people who he would have excluded from God's kingdom. Paul has had this major conversion experience and he sees things differently than he once did. And God has invited him to be a part of what he is doing in the world. 
and he understands that in the cross, what Jesus was doing was creating this new humanity and reconciling all things. So when Paul says that God is going to do more than you can ask or imagine, he's not just saying, hey, here's some theory that I have that if you trust God, he's saying, I have seen God do in this world far more than I could ever ask or imagine. But before he gets there, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, here's my prayer for these people, that they would be strengthened, that they would be rooted and grounded, that they would comprehend, that they would know and be filled. That God is using his people who have been strengthened, who have been rooted and grounded, who, have been, who can comprehend his grace, and who have been filled and know the full measure of the fullness of God. He's using those people to create and build this new world. And the invitation is not to invite Christ into your life. It's that he has invited you into his. It's he's invited you into his world to be a part of what he is doing. To leave this world that we look at and say, this is not right. Where he would simply say, you're right, it's not the way it was supposed to be. But I am using my people in this world to make the world as it should be again. And I need you to join me in this mission. I need you to join me as a part of this this vision. And so many times our prayers, I think, do not reflect that. Because so many times our prayers is God help him, heal them, help her, God feed them. Remove the disease or the depression. And it's almost as if we expect God to show up miraculously and work magic. Right? Magic is when you create something out of something that is not there. It's almost as we pray, well, God, we want you to feed the hungry. That God would magically show up and stock their pantry. Or God, we want you to take away the depression that God would just magically show up and remove the emotions. But more often, God works through multiplication and not magic. Give me what you have, and I will multiply it for my purposes. Abraham, give me your feet, and I will multiply your steps. Moses, give me your mouth and I will multiply your words. Joseph, give me your life and I will multiply your reach. Rahab, give me your home and I will 
multiply your place in the kingdom. David, give me your sins and I will multiply my grace. Woman, give me a drink and I will multiply your fulfillment. Give me your bread and fish and I will multiply its capacity. Give me your daughter and I will multiply your faith. Give me your eyes and I will multiply your vision. Give me your anxiety and I will multiply your trust. Give me your son and I will multiply your life. Come on, give me what you have. Give me your hands, give me your feet, give me your eyes, give me your ears, give me your mouth, give me your anxiety, give me your depression, give me your fear, give me your lust, give me your thoughts, give me the depression, give me the anxiety, give it all to me. All the stuff that you don't like, all the stuff that you're not proud of it, bring it to me, give it to me, and I will multiply it. You see, it's not just that I might multiply the addiction, I might multiply the healing in your life through healing other people through you. See, I might not just heal you from the hurt of the divorce, but I might heal other people through you. Give me what you have, and I will multiply it in this world. I will multiply it for the building of my kingdom. Jesus has been in Samaria, Samaria, talking to a Samaritan woman. And his disciples have left, and they come back, And they're confused by what's going on. That Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. And there's this place in John chapter 4 where he tells them, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He tells them, like, literally lift up your eyes, because I think they've probably been looking down, but literally lift up your eyes and look around you, because what I am doing in this world is probably not what you assumed I was doing. That I am ministering to people because I am making one new humanity out of two. See, this is more than they could ask or imagine. But if you think about it, there are a lot of things in this world that make that very promise. That they will do more than you could ask or imagine. You know those 3,000 messages and all the advertising? Here's the solution. We have this new phone. And it could do more in your life than you could ever imagine. And it will allow you to connect with people in ways that you never knew were possible. And we have this new car that will park itself for you. And it has sensors on the side to protect you and on the front to slow you down more than you could ever imagine a car doing. And if you buy these clothes or you buy this house or you have this status symbol, then it's going to do more in your life than you could ever imagine it doing. 
or if your body looked like this, this prototypical perfect six-pack or six-foot model who's blonde hair and blue eyes, if you looked like that, your life would be better than you could ever imagine it being. Here's the question. Of all those messages that we are inundated with every single day, do they ever do what they promised? so many people we get sidetracked because as we try to follow Jesus we have these messages coming at us from all these different angles and hey over here we got this thing and it's going to do more than you could ever ask or imagine we got this new car we got this new clothes we got this new mortgage for you it's going to do more than you could ever ask imagine and my guess is if something could actually do more than you could ask or imagine you probably wouldn't need to replace it in a couple years this kingdom God is building he says is more than you could ask or imagine because the God who is building it has done more than you can ask or imagine and he hasn't asked you to invite him into your life he has invited you in to his. So here's what I want to do this week. Tomorrow, in fact. We are inundated constantly with all these messages. And tomorrow, I want you simply to be aware of it. As you see those messages, whether it's on commercial or whether it's on a billboard or an advertisement in the store, Where are the things that keep telling you who you are and what you have is not enough? Just simply to be aware of it. And then secondly, to take inventory of it. To know, hey, this is where these things keep bumping into me. These are where these things keep hitting me. These are where these things keep pulling me off off course. And then it's not enough just simply be aware of it. But it's to refill ourselves with the message that we do need to hear. And so however this works for you, for me, I put it in my phone on my calendar at 7 a.m. And in the notes section there, I just wrote this verse. That God is going to do more than we could ask or imagine. And everything was going to be for his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever, amen. I just copied and pasted it. And so that alarm can go off at 7 tomorrow. 
and I'm going to hit snooze for one hour. And I'm going to hit snooze for one hour again and again and again and again. So that every hour I get this reminder that the one who lives in me, the one who's invited me into his new world, has promised to do more than we could ask or imagine because he's already done it. He's just inviting you to live in it. To enter into it and experience that life fully and freely. Because everything around us is fighting to fill us. It's fighting for that space and telling you that who you are and what you have is not enough. Let me just tell you this morning, Jesus is. Jesus is. And what he has promised, he is doing. Because his promise, 2,000 years later, is still here. So for those of you who are discouraged because the world is not as it should be, go and create the world that God has called you to create by loving God, by loving others. It really is that simple. Because in that mission, he is creating this one new humanity out of two. Father, thank you for this day. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, empower us, And Father, let us grasp the height, the width, the depth, the length of the love of Christ. And to know that love that will do more than we could ask or imagine. And help us to be aware of all the things that make that same promise, but yet never fulfill what they say they will. Father, help us to enter into your world. To be builders of your kingdom. Co-creators. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ and entered into his world, this is your opportunity this morning. We would love to help you do that. If we could simply pray for you, we're going to have staff and shepherds around the back of the room. We'd love just to put our arm around you and pray for you and over you.